we are continuing in our series verse by verse through the Gospel of John. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to John 1. That's chapter 1, verse 35, and we'll pick up there in a moment. Uh, For context, within the series, two weeks ago, we shifted from John's prologue or introduction into John's narrative of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And two weeks ago, as we entered that narrative, we started by looking at John the Baptist proclaiming Jesus as the Lamb of God. What did that mean that the Messiah was coming, not as a lion, but as a lamb? Then the week after that, this last Sunday, we examined uh, the religious leaders as they come to John the Baptist and investigate him. The entire nation really uh, is curious, wants to know who this man is and what he's about. So we looked at John's interview uh, last week in which he demotes himself and consistently points to Jesus as the coming Messiah. And now we're going to pick up in verse 35. This is what happens next. It says, The next day, John, that's John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. Same, same witness he was giving before. Then the two disciple, When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Caiaphas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray. Father, we invite you to come into this place in the power of the Holy Spirit and search our hearts, Lord. We recognize that uh, we were born 
into your story, into what you're doing in the world. And yet so often, Lord, we make up our own identity. We make up our own story, our own version of reality, which uh, is sometimes close to your version and sometimes is very far away. And so we invite you to come, Lord, and and sort of uh, search the deep places of our hearts that you would correct any false narratives that we're carrying, that you would speak a truer word, a true uh, identity over us that's better than the identity we've given ourselves, that's better than the identity the world would give us. And would you uh, show us where the cracks are in, in the foundations, Lord? You, you teach us as the master teacher how to build well and to build our lives upon the rock. Lord, show us what corners of the house perhaps we've built on the sand that looks really good right now, but when testing comes or when the call comes to lay down our lives, all of a sudden it's exposed. We were building on the wrong thing. Would you come, Lord, search our hearts, search our lives, search the foundations that we've built on, and lead us into a a better, truer narrative about the world and ourselves. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The gospel confronts humanity with some of the most important and pressing questions that we could ask. Who is God? What is God like? Who is Jesus? Uh, How should we understand him? How should we respond to him? What does it look like to encounter the eternal logos in flesh and blood? And how should we properly respond when that moment comes? The events that we just read about uh, capture this moment as the very first disciples encounter Jesus and decide how to respond to him. Uh, John the Baptist has many followers and disciples, but as we talked about last week, he's now in the process of making himself less, of exiting the scene, of stepping out of the national spotlight, and highlighting Jesus as the new center. Uh, And he tells two of his close disciples, hey, this is the man. This is the Lamb of God. And they immediately leave John, which as we discussed in weeks past was probably very painful. He's poured into these people. He loves them. They leave him immediately and start following after Jesus right then in that moment. And I can almost imagine Jesus kind of walking along this ancient Near Eastern dirt road and all of a sudden sensing, I think there's someone behind me, you know, and sort of turning around and these two guys are standing a little ways off but still trying to follow him and him saying, "Uh, okay, how can I help you? Well, actually what he says more accurately is, What is it that you want? And notice that this is actually one of Jesus' favorite questions to ask. He doesn't just ask it here. When he encounters uh, the sick or the blind or the paralyzed, often he will ask this question that sort of uh, pierces into our deeper desires. Hey, I want it to come from you. What is it that you want? Deeply, truly, from your own heart? What is it that you actually want? 
An important question for all of us to ask ourselves, honestly, truly, what is it that I want out of life and how am I trying to fulfill that longing? But in context, these two answer, they start by saying rabbi, which John translates for us. It means master or teacher. Uh, where are you staying? Which, which in context means like, where are you going to be based out of? Where are you going to be and remain? Can we come and be a part of it? Can we be where you are? And Jesus answered them, come or follow me and you will see which in context, all of this is loaded with the language of discipleship or apprenticeship from the ancient Near East. There's this language of coming to apprentice under a master. He's the rabbi, the master. I want to come and be under your authority, under your teaching, be formed to be like you. I want to, to follow you, to stay where you are, to remain where you are. And then Jesus' invitation, essentially saying, come and stay and see. Come follow me in the fullest sense of the word. These people in context know what they're being invited into, and they say yes. Uh, not only that, but they bring their friends. Andrew is one of the first uh, people to turn and follow Jesus, and he thinks to himself, wow, I've encountered the real deal. Like, this is the one. <laughs> that we've been waiting for, and he's personally invited me to come and apprentice under him. But it says the first thing that he does is he actually runs to go and tell his brother, hey, this is amazing. I, I, gotta, tell, I gotta tell my brother about this. And so he runs to fetch his brother, a man named Simon, and as soon as Simon enters the scene, you can sort of uh, hear the audience cheer. If you've ever been in a movie theater and like a famous actor comes on and you would cheer, ah, oh, there he is, we know that actor. There's sort of that same sense when you're reading this gospel account, that the original audience who would have first read this would have almost cheered when they, when they saw Simon enter the scene. Uh, in context, by the time John the author writes this account that we're reading. It's decades after the other accounts have been written. The early church is in full swing. Simon, who's in the process of being renamed Peter in this account, Peter is actually at the helm, sort of at the head of the church in Jerusalem, the center of the center. He's eventually martyred. Before John has written this account, Peter's already been martyred in Rome under Emperor Nero. But as a result of all this, within the early church, Peter is a very well-known figure, and he's sort of an apostolic hero within the early church. So they have this hero in mind, and now they're seeing him enter the scene. So you can imagine their excitement as they first receive this gospel account. And you get a sense of Peter's importance right off of the bat because even here in the passage that we read, Andrew is already being called Simon Peter's brother, right? So even though Andrew was right there under John the Baptist and one of the first people to turn and follow after Jesus, he's known as Simon Peter's brother, right? Which shows, hey, this is, this is actually, everyone's being defined in their relationship to Peter even though he's just entered the scene, I actually, that signals some of his importance within the story or the narrative. Uh, I grew up with a younger brother myself, uh, Evan, 
And I can distinctly remember times when I was hanging out with my brother and his friends, and I would be introduced by his friends to his friends, and they would say, oh, this is Matt, he's Evan's brother. And I would think to myself, oh, no, 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 he, he's my brother. Like, he's, he's Matt's brother. I'm not Evan's brother. Like, that's not, you can't define me off of that. And it's that same sense what's happening here. Like, Andrew was first, but he's already, oh, that's Andrew. He's Simon Peter's brother. Defined in terms of that importance. But in either case, there's this moment. Andrew brings his brother in his excitement. Simon enters the scene. And then there's this wonderful moment when Jesus and Simon meet for the first time. And Jesus looks at him, and instead of saying, what is your name, which maybe would be a normal greeting, instead he says, you are Simon, son of John. As in, you don't need to tell me, I already know who you are. I know more about you than you realize. But then comes the truly remarkable part because Jesus immediately goes on to say, you will be called Caiaphas, which translated is Peter. Meaning right here and right now, I'm essentially changing your name. I'm giving you a nickname. I'm giving you a new name, which reveals something of who you really are. Were this to happen uh, right now today in our context this morning, we would actually call this a prophetic word or a word of knowledge. Hey, in the presence of God, as we were praying, whatever it is, in the power of the Spirit, actually have this insight into who you are today. This is who you are. You didn't have to tell me. And Jesus is saying, this is who you will be. This is the person that you are are becoming. This is who you will be tomorrow by God's grace and power. Uh, And it's a little lost on us, but Caiaphas, which John translates for us as Peter, is the word Petros, which means rock. And that wasn't a name. You're thinking, oh, that's kind of an odd name. (laughs) Now, it wasn't a name back then. It is now. Now there's, there's millions of people named Peter. But back then, that you wouldn't have called someone a rock. It wasn't, it wasn't a name in Greek or in Aramaic. It's a nickname. It's an identity marker. Uh, some of you might remember the professional wrestler Dwayne Johnson, who simply called himself The Rock, right? That wasn't his name that he was born with, but that's what, that's what he went by. Everyone knew him as The Rock. Or you think of uh, the stories, the movies we have about the boxer named Rocky, right? I, don't, I didn't watch the movies, but I don't think that was the name his mother gave him when he was born. That's a nickname that's given to those people that's meant to indicate something about their nature, about their identity, about what they're like. The same thing is happening here. Uh, Jesus is essentially looking at Peter for the first time and sharing prophetic insight into who he is today and who he will become tomorrow. You are a rock. We will call you Peter. Hey, everybody, we're going to call this guy the rock. And later Jesus adds to that by saying, on this rock, or Petros, uh, I will build my church 
and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I mean, what, what a calling. What an identity to be given from Jesus right out of... He says, this is who you are. This is what I see in you. And this is what I'm going to do through you as you walk with me. And the next day comes, and it's a similar pattern. Jesus finds a man named Philip and says, come follow me. Jesus understands in context the gravity of the call. He understands who this man is, again, possibly through John the Baptist and time that he spent with him. But he gets what this means in their context. And he surrenders to Jesus. He gives up, just like the others, he gives up everything that's comfortable and known to them to trade for what is uncomfortable and for what is unknown in following after this man. And as he goes, just like the others, he runs to grab a friend to bring with him. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one who Moses wrote about in the law and whom the prophets also, of whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, Nazareth, Nathaniel says, can anything good come from there? And then Philip's classic response, come and see. Now, as an aside, I think that this exchange that these two have actually speaks really powerfully to the cultural moment that we're living in. We also walk in these same patterns, we encounter Jesus. And just like Andrew was changed, he encounters Jesus, he commits his life to him, and then he runs to grab his brother. So Philip encounters Jesus, accepts him as the Messiah, and then runs to grab a friend to bring along with him. But I think Nathaniel's response is eerily similar to that of our culture. First off, I've always kind of thought of Spokane as sort of the Nazareth or Galilee of the Pacific Northwest, right? It's a little more backwater. It's not as well known. It doesn't have uh, the economy or the visibility of a Seattle or a Portland. It doesn't carry the same sort of cultural currency that many of the cities around us uh, carry, but... God is very powerfully at work in this city. And we believe that God wants to spark something in this city that's actually unique to the city of Spokane. And that when other people from around the region say, oh, Spokane, can anything good come from there? That we might be able to answer with confidence, come and see. But on an even larger scale, I think that this is the attitude of our secular culture toward the church. As we go to witness and share about Jesus to friends and family and coworkers, to the culture around us, one on one, face to face, as it's been done for thousands of years, some of us will have the experience of Andrew who run to grab their brother or their friend or whoever it is, and the person that we bring along instantly falls in love with Jesus. 
and just surrenders right then and there. I've been waiting for this. Something in me has been longing for this invitation. I've been searching. I've been asking tough questions about life, and I encounter, and it's just done. From this moment forward, Simon Peter now is just completely in. Some of us will have the experience of Philip who run and grab their friends and, and bring them along and, or try to bring them along and, and they have this, before they even move, there's this response of church? Like you want me to go to church? What good can come out of that? And, and as we come alive as a community that's built around Jesus, we should be able to say with confidence, come and see. Come and see. Come and see and come and encounter him and you will be changed. If you come and participate, you will encounter Jesus. You will be changed along the way. And that's what happens here uh, in the account that we read this morning to Nathaniel. He uh, comes and you almost sense a bit of reluctance or skepticism in his approach. And, but it says, when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. So what he's saying, just as he did with Peter, is this is who you are. You don't have to tell me. I already know more about you than you anticipated. And I'm telling you, this is who you are. And you have to love this response. I almost imagine Nathaniel's mouth hanging open a bit and thinking, wait, what? Like, how... How do you know me? We've never met before. How do you know something so deep and personal about me? And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Which again, I translate all of this through the lens of a prophetic word. Hey, I saw you earlier and in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit just began whispering to me, hey, do you see that guy? sitting over there under the fig tree. Man, I delight in that guy. There's no deceit in him. His heart is pure. And, and God's already whispering to him prophetically about Nathaniel before he's even been invited down by his friend. So he just started whispering to, hey, this is who he is and this is who he's becoming. And, and as Jesus shares that with him, Nathaniel is cut to the core. Something in his heart just leaps up in response. And he says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. To which Jesus essentially says, whoa, like hold on, pal. That was a lot to pull from one prophetic word. Now you're right, of course. Uh, that is who I am. But if you come and follow me, you will see greater things than that. You remember Jacob who saw angels ascending and descending on a ladder to and from heaven. You remember how Jacob heard from God and, and shared God's words with others. You remember how that place was renamed the house of God. Well, that was all pointing forward to me, Jesus says. 
I am the meeting place between heaven and earth. I am the house of God in its truest and fullest form. I am what God wants to communicate to the world. I'm only going to speak the words that my Father gives me. I'm only going to do the things that I see my Father doing. And if you think prophetic insight proves my divinity, just wait. Because you are going to see new creation breaking into the old, starting right here and right now. Prophetic words of identity are a great starting place, but if you come and follow me, you will see far greater things than that. What does it look like when the kingdom of God is launched or inaugurated on earth? What does it look like to encounter new creation breaking out into the midst of the old? Well, it looks a lot like Jesus of Nazareth in the trenches, face to face on a dirt road saying, come, follow Not come believe in me, not give me your intellectual assent, but come follow me. Walk with me. Become like me. Go where I call you to go. Do what I call you to do. And as you're on that journey, abiding in me, walking with me, being shaped into my image, being set free from the true enemies of humanity. As you're on that journey, invite your friends along. Go and tell the people that you love about the stuff that you love. Come and follow me. Invite in your friends. And some of them will say yes right away. And some of them will say no, not ever. And some of them, like Nathaniel, will be very skeptical and very slow to approach and they will encounter Jesus and be cut to the core. And as you're walking with me and abiding in me and responding to me, guess what? As you're doing that, I'm going to speak to you. Later in John, he says, my sheep recognize my voice. What does that mean? Like as you're walking behind me, as you're being shepherded by me, you will learn to recognize my voice. And I'm going to speak to you about who you are today and about who you're becoming tomorrow. I'm going to speak fresh words of truth and identity over you as you're following after me and finding life that is truly life by laying your life down. That's the story. That's this account that we're reading. That's the story that's just begun. It's the story of Peter and Nathaniel and James and John. It's the story of Mary and Martha and thousands of others to come after them who have lived out this journey. It's my story, and it's your story. I encountered Jesus. I, there was a moment in time where I saw clearly, oh my goodness, this is who he is. Now we have the Holy Spirit witnessing 
and, and making that available to us as opposed to John the Baptist in the flesh. It's a little different for us, but we have that moment where the veil is lifted and we see, oh my goodness, this is who Jesus is. I had that moment, and in that moment, he says, this is who I am. Now come follow me. Come follow after me. Come apprentice under me with your whole life, with everything that that entails. And as you do, you invite others to come along. And so I'm on this journey of following after Jesus, of slowly becoming more like Jesus over time as he frees me from my true enemies, as he embeds me in the family of God, as a known person in a new family with a new name and a new identity. We're invited into the exact same thing that the original disciples were invited into. Same invitation, same apprenticeship, same Jesus, same total surrender, same invitation to our friends and family members and strangers and other people around us. There is an unbroken chain from these first men and women who said yes to Jesus all the way to you and me sitting here this morning. Thousands of people, generation after generation, who heard the same call, who were invited by others, and came and surrendered and said yes to him. And so the invitation this morning for you and for me is to find yourself in this story, in this same pattern of radical discipleship, which started with the people you see named here, but which stretches over the centuries and over the millennia to reach to you and me. Same call, same opportunity to respond and live in the same story. So as we close, a simple question that I want to pose, which part of the discipleship pattern are you most in need of this morning? This is the story, this is the pattern that we're invited into. So I've listed four that we saw from the passage this morning. The first is this, seeing Jesus for who he is in his fullness, surrendering holistically to him, meaning with everything that we have, not halfway or with part of our life, receiving your new identity or new name in him, it's the identity that comes from Scripture and from hearing from God as He speaks into your life. And number four, inviting others along for the journey, which no matter how you go about that, no matter what your thinking is in that, it is a difficult thing in the culture that we live in. So as we close this morning, I'm going to pray for us. And at this point, to keep it simple, I'll just ask God to highlight one of those things that maybe stands out to you where he is calling you uh, to grow and mature in discipleship. If we are willing to walk in these brilliantly simple patterns, then we are going to start maturing, looking more like Jesus. We're going to start growing up in God. And we're going to see other people come and encounter Jesus and surrender to him and be baptized into the kingdom. We don't have to overcomplicate it. 
what we see with the original disciples, same call, same pattern on our lives. But in order to flourish, truly, I think we need all four of these. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come now and to search our hearts, to search our lives. Uh, As we were praying earlier, uh, Bo shared with me, he had this passage on his heart about the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus, you say, hey, those who actually listen to me and actually respond to me and actually put this into practice, who actually live as if what I'm saying is true, those people are like the ones who build their house on a rock. And it's not easy to build on a rock. I think it takes more work. But when the storms of life and culture and, and difficulty and death slam against the house, those who have been build, building on the rock, they go right through the storm. And those who said, oh, look, the ground is soft here. This is the easiest place to build my life. I'll build here. That same storm comes along and it slams against the house and things start to fracture and splinter and eventually the house collapses in a heap, in a mess. And so, Lord, we want to be those who see you for who you are, who see reality as it actually is, and who make the the wisest, most radical, most adventurous decision that we could make, and that's to say yes to you. Say, Jesus, I do have faith. I do have belief, but would you help me overcome my unbelief? I'm I'm, I'm willing to give you, I've already given you this much. Would you help me with the rest that I haven't given? Lord, I've I've gone and shaped my life, my goals, my identity off of the easy stuff that the world gives. Honestly, truly, I think it's easier to build our identity off of what the enemy says than it is to build off of what God says about us. Because when God speaks what is actually true about us, man, I think it's too good to be true. I think Simon stood there stunned that that first morning and said, this guy somehow knows me, but maybe he doesn't know me because I'm not a rock. If you read through the rest of the gospel account, Peter doesn't look like a rock. But God actually has the truest version of reality. He knows Peter better better than Peter knows himself. He says, no, 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 this is who you are. And I imagine that Peter wrestled with that nickname. I imagine there was times it gave great pain to know that he nicknamed me the rock and I denied him in front of everyone. Oh, Lord, that's not who I am. And the Lord said, no, that is who you are. That's who you are. That's who you're becoming. And it was true. That's who he became. Martyred, crucified upside down for Jesus. That man was a rock. So Jesus, as we come to you this morning, some of us need to hear those true and sometimes confusing words of truth 
and identity and, and the name that you give us in the kingdom. And Lord, some of us uh, need boldness and courage to figure out in our own way, in our own timing, and your leading by the Holy Spirit, what does it look like to invite others in? I'm happy to go deeper with you, Jesus, but I'm, I'm really afraid to reach out. I'm afraid to speak about you to others who don't know you yet. So whether we need uh, words of fresh truth and identity spoken over us or fresh courage to extend the invitation or fresh surrender with the parts of our lives that we're holding back or just fresh vision of you, Jesus, to see clearly who you are this morning. I pray you would come, Holy Spirit, and that you would work unique things in each human heart that is here this morning. We all need something different, Lord, but we all need more of you. And we need to step deeper into this journey of discipleship. We need to not see ourselves as, as admirers of the first disciples. We need to see ourselves as apprentices under Jesus on equal footing with the first disciples, with all that that demands of our lives and all the true life that it gives in response. Holy Spirit, would you come and speak to us now? In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue and worship together. And as we do, there's going to be a prayer team kind of along the far wall over here. If you need prayer for any of those four things that were listed, fresh courage, uh, fresh identity and truth spoken over your life, a fresh vision of Jesus, whatever it is, but we would love to pray with you and for you and have you encountered God in that place. I was just thinking about how we, we all have the ability, like Jesus says, to grow in hearing his voice, but I've never heard his voice louder or more clearly than when he speaks through biblical community, when he speaks through others that are surrendered to him. Uh, and there's an opportunity for that this morning. So uh, we're going to worship. You can sit, you can listen, you can come for prayer, you can sing, you can do whatever feels most appropriate for you in this moment. Let's worship.